Welcome to the CDRB Show, the podcast where you get to know some of the coolest people around. I'm your host, Christian Rodriguez, and each week I sit down with a special guest to chat about their life, career, and all the things that make them awesome. We cover some serious topics that matter, but don't worry, we keep it real and laid back. You never know what kind of insights and surprises you'll get, but one thing's for sure, we're always having a good time. So kick back, relax, and join us for another episode of the CDRB Show. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the CDRB Show. I'm Christian Rodriguez and as every week we have a special guest to talk about their life and career. This week's guest is Mr. Adam Morgan. He's a politician serving as member of the South Carolina House of Representatives and also president of Majesty Music. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, uh, today it's a very different podcast for me because it's the first time that I am recording outside of the studio that I'm used to do it. And um, and you're in Majesty Music. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, yeah, that's yeah. that's great. Uh, I didn't know that you had all these uh, like uh, set up. For, for podcasts as well. Yeah. And that was so convenient for me. <laughs> It is super convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for being here today. Um, today, uh, what I want to do with every guest in my podcast is to try to talk about their personal life, but also to talk about their professional career, accomplishments and everything. And I think uh, with you, it will be a really interesting conversation. It may so. be short if it's accomplishments. <laughs> <'cause> I'm, <laughs> I'm like 30, early 30s. You can't have done very much. Yeah. By then, right? uh, so the first question is, uh, where were you born? So I was born in Dallas, Texas, uh, and lived there for like seven and a half years, then lived in Atlanta for a while, and then ultimately moved here to Greenville, South Carolina. And I've spent like 20 years here now, which is crazy. 20 Doesn't years? It seem like I'm that old. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How old are you? I'm uh, 33. 33? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I, I, I could still consider myself young. I feel <laughs> young. I have two kids and one on the way. So like anytime you have babies in your life, like you are young. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, like once they get into like elementary and high school, that's when you're old. You so. could be my, my brother. <laughs> There you go. Exactly. My, my, my brother is 32. There you go. Actually. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. How old are you? I'm 22. 22. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. A, a little yeah. bit of a gap. but. <laughs> Uh, okay, so how was your life like when you were like a child? Uh, so I, my dad was in business and uh, we traveled a lot uh, because of that. We would kind of all go as a family. So uh, I was homeschooled at first, okay. uh, which was a different experience for sure than probably a lot of people have. And uh, my, uh, I was actually, as a young kid, I was supposed to go to school uh, or I was like interviewing or whatever that is called to get a place in the mm -hmm. school. And uh, the, they did some kind of a test or something, and the teacher was like, oh, I think he might have attention deficit disorder uh, or some kind of ADHD, so I think we need to hold him back a year. Mm. And my mom was like, I just really don't know about that. I think he's just a boy with a lot of energy, and I think he just needs more one-on-one <laughs> -on -one time. He's actually you know, pretty good with uh, school and stuff like that. And so she actually, instead of having me wait a year, she just started homeschooling. So that's kind of the reason uh, I got into homeschooling. So... I uh, did that a lot, and uh, yeah, got. I felt. I feel like uh, I learned a lot more than I would have in school by mm -hmm. being homeschooled because it was kind of go at your own pace. And yeah. uh, my mom had had a teaching background, so by the time I went back into school as like a, I think it was in sixth grade or something, mm 
I went back in and I was actually top of my class, which is kind of an ironic, oh, okay. you know, from being, oh, he needs to be held back. And she yeah. said, no, we'll do our own <laughs> thing. And then going back and, uh, and I've always, uh, you know, love ac- academics uh, since then. So anyway, kind wow. of a, an interesting pathway. But ultimately, I went to a regular school. I've done kind of every different type of schooling. I did homeschool, mm-hmm. I did Christian school, uh, and then uh, did law school, so public uh, law school. Uh, so yeah, I've wow. had an interesting uh, educational background. Yeah. Uh, do you think, I, I always have wondered about this with homeschooling. Do you think that that can be a disadvantage in terms of social skills maybe because you're not around other people oh, all the time? Maybe? Hugely. I'm weird and I I, <laughs> I really struggle to talk to people. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> um, I am weird, but the I, I, I think it depends on your family dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, uh, if, if you're in a family where the parents maybe are very, I don't want to say antisocial, but that's the word that's coming to mind. If they're <laughs> antisocial, they don't, you know, interact a lot or communicate a lot or, uh, you know, they're not as social and aren't involved in social things around the family, like, you know, sports and church and, you know, whatever community involvement. My family, my parents are both very social and we were very involved in those kind of extra familial, extracurricular Mm -hmm. things. And so it didn't stymie my, uh, you know, social growth or whatever, (laughs) however you want to phrase that. And my, really, I don't think it did either. My siblings either. Uh, My brother is also in politics and Mm -hmm. literally politics is a social world. I I mean, it's really, I, you, I think it's easy to oversimplify, but it's all relationship based. It's all in communication. It's inspiring people at, you know, sales in a lot of way, get them to vote for you and then get people that you work with that are other Mm -hmm. representatives to vote for legislation you're pushing. So it's, it's heavily, um, it's heavily leaning on social skills. So my brother is in the house with me. We're both in politics and my sister runs a sales company. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, everything we do is very social. So I would say the exact opposite. (laughs) I do see that um, stereotype some Mm -hmm. in, you know, in homeschool families, but I think it's definitely uh, an overhyped stereotype because a lot of times, you know, when I meet homeschool families and homeschool people that, you know, had that background, they don't seem to struggle socially. I, I think there's, a t- maybe it's a time. Maybe it's like when you make that first transition from the homeschool environment to like a, a workplace mm-hmm. or a, a public or a private school schooling option, maybe that's where you first have that kind of tension and then pretty quickly you learn the yeah. skills. Uh, that That's what, that's what I see. I, I don't think it, I don't think of it as a really, you know, valid stereotype. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family? Uh, yeah, so my my mom uh, had studied to be a teacher, and so she homeschooled us for a while, and then um, was involved in a lot of different stuff, uh, businesses and politics, things like that. Uh, they they had an acute interest in politics. Both my parents did, and that's where we picked it up. Um, so they they also were involved in politics. Yes, very much, especially on the like more on the consuming of the media side. Oh, okay, it's not like they were running for office or anything like that. But we received a steady diet of kind of conservative uh, media, mm-hmm. and so you know, as a kid, I remember growing up hearing you know conservative uh, talking points you know, <laughs> on radio programs and on on TV and things like that. So I was always kind of um, habituated in in that world, and that's where my values you know came from. Mm-hmm. Then as I went into college, I went to uh, a Christian school. I went to Bob Jones University, okay. which is right here next to the studio. 
And, you know, it's it's such a conservative Christian environment mm. that I I almost wanted to explore other things. So, you know, f- during that time, I was like more interested in alternative viewpoints like liberalism and, you know, <laughs> the, now I want to say the Democrat Party, but I was very interested in those things. So I kind of explored those, probably more thought of myself as maybe a moderate at that point in time. And then when I got out of school, I went into law school and it was like a complete flip. I went from a super conservative uh, environment to a super liberal environment. And the it was a liberal environment that was not uh, tolerant of conservative viewpoints. It was aggressively against uh, conservatism. And, mm. you know, we would sit in constitutional law and they would mock Roe v. Wade or they would for Roe v. Wade, they would mock anyone who had an alternative opinion when we studied that you yeah. know, case or uh, just different classes. They would joke about people that were conservative. They can't they can only see black and white, almost like they're intellectually okay. inferior, uh, just things like that, uh, yeah. uh, th- that they're uh, racist or homophobic or whatever, just for having different viewpoints. And that really swung me from more maybe middle of the road politically to hard right. <laughs> it's like a okay. reaction where I was like, oh, no, no, like this is thought control and thought blazing. And I more saw the dangers of this kind of group think and, you know, speech silence that is on very much alive on a lot of public uh, colleges. And it's it's kind of insane, but it's, it's very alive and very, um, controlling, uh, in, uh, law schools, mm-hmm. which you would think law schools, you know, pushing the rule of law and, you know, these, <laughs> these, you know, foundational principles, but they really are, if you have a differing viewpoint, it's, it's shot down, it's silenced, it's mocked. And then the other side is, is pushed mm-hmm. even like it's as if it's truth. And so it's kind of an ironic thing to run into, uh, in law schools, but and I was in at USC, South Carolina, which is supposedly a more conservative okay. law school. Uh, so even in a supposedly more conservative law school, it was completely liberal. So <laughs> I had a hard swing right and got involved in <laughs> campaigns. Uh, uh, Nikki Haley for governor was one of the early campaigns I worked on. Okay. Worked on a campaign for Senate, a campaign for superintendent of education in South Carolina and uh, very quickly got, you know, bit by the bug for politics. And I knew as soon as that first campaign that I was working on, I was like, one day I'm going to probably run for something. Mm. Like I could do this. I could be a candidate. I could run. Uh, I thought it would be when I was much older. I did not expect it to be when I was in my twenties. So (laughs) (laughs) when did you start this um, uh, term as a member of the yeah, so uh, my most recent term, I just got reelected to my third term uh, in what year is it? 2022, is that right? <laughs> so I'm up for reelection next year. Um, okay. I My first election, though, I was 27, I think, when I f- announced that I was going to run for office and uh, for House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So it's state house. So it's a state level government. Uh, and I represent the area here in the upstate of South Carolina. And I knew I wanted to run for office at some point but as as I was saying I I thought it would be when I you know when I was retiring or something <laughs> but my state house rep ran for congress mm. uh Trey Gowdy had been our congressman and he retired and so my guy uh, Dan Hamilton ran for his seat and so I thought hey you know what I've thought I would run for something I'm I had gone from practicing law to running a family business mm-hmm. that majesty music which we talked about earlier mm-hmm. my father-in-law had dementia and so they really needed somebody to take over the business. So they asked if my wife and I would do it. Mm-hmm. We were already a little involved, but so I switched from law and came and took took over business. But I had this just desire to I want to work. Uh, I want to use my law degree for something. Yeah, you know, because I had all this training. And so, what better way to run and be a legislator and write <laughs> laws, right? <Yeah. laughs> so, 
So I, it was open. I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to do it. We had just had a new baby. So I'm 27, like new baby. Uh, and I tell my wife, and I'm running a company, and I tell my wife, hey, I'm going to spend every afternoon oh and evening God. knocking on, you know, 4,000 <laughs> doors. And she's like, you're going to what now? Oh, so, my God. And she, you know, we prayed about it, thought about it, talked about it for a long time. And we're like, hey, let's just do it. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because, you know, because you're not far from the age I was when I actually ran. Yeah. <laughs> and I would knock on doors. And, you know, most of the people that are voting are – um older let's just say the active unfortunately the ones who care about the republic are are older people and so i'm knocking on these regular primary voters and they open the door and almost everyone is older and they're sitting there looking at me kind of skeptically and i'm like i want to run and be your representative and write laws and they're like okay how old are you and i'm like uh 27 27 (laughs) trying to trying to see maybe they don't take you as seriously for your age for sure they were well thankfully i had some gray hair so (laughs) it's not like everyone was asking because i think a lot of people would look at me and be like oh he runs a business he's a lawyer okay yeah he must you know but the ones that asked me and i tell them 27 i saw their (laughs) eyes would get big like uh (laughs) maybe we should go with somebody with a little more experience like did you just graduate (laughs) um anyway but enough people i I really talked to people and they liked my message uh they liked what i was saying and you know i had a lot of energy and enthusiasm and really a lot of fight in me and mm-hmm. I communicated that at the door and so even though majority of people voting were much older than me and the person that was running against me was much was their age a lot of them were like you know what we'll give give the young guy a try and yeah. so they sent me I got 60% of the vote shockingly I didn't wow. I like part of me I think I knew I was going to win, but part of me really wondered, like, you know, am yeah. I really going to win this? And so then when I did, it was like, oh, wow, now, I, now I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a legislator. Like, what is this going to look like? But uh, anyway, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Um, so did you, what did you study exactly at the university? You studied law or political no, science? I didn't know I was going to do law. In fact, I, I thought I was going to teach uh, okay. college level. That's what I always uh, had in my head that I would do. I, I, I love school. And so I wanted to get a doctorate and Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to get a a PhD, an MD or a JD. Uh, And I thought I would do medicine. I thought I was going to do medicine or teach uh, at a college level. And so I I took uh, different classes in business and uh, explored theology and uh, the other one I switched to. Oh, and I took gen bio and some of the (laughs) science courses in undergrad. (laughs) And I just it, pretty quickly I would I would get into something and I'd be like you know this is interesting but I don't want to make that everything I do mm. I don't want to spend however many years in medicine and math you know I always enjoyed science and I always enjoyed uh, history and uh, English things like that literature but math was never my interest like I could do it <laughs> but it was a lot of work it, it was a lot more work and more effort than some people had to do for it yeah and so I was just like I, I was doing the some of the, a little bit of the medical stuff and I thought you know what <laughs> even this is too much math <laughs> like it's just not what I'm interested in doing yeah um, ironic though because now in uh, now as a lawmaker a, a huge chunk of it is uh, budget but thankfully that's math that is much easier that I, like I enjoy that okay. side of math it's the you know getting into yeah. the obnoxious equations and yeah, <laughs> I think it's more real world yes uh, very much and when you're doing equations or everything you you think like what is this going to do for my life yeah exactly <laughs> like I, I'm literally not 
trying to like launch a rocket. I don't yeah. know or, or measure the <laughs> circumference of something. Yeah. I really do not care. Like <laughs> I'm glad I'm so glad there are people that do. Yeah. It's just for not sure. me. <laughs> yeah, but for every particular area there's a person. So that's Yeah. That's exactly. good. Um what do you do in your spare time? In my spare time. So I um I like to read. I I used to be a news junkie. So I like would get the Wall Street Journal and uh The New Yorker and The Atlantic, and, okay. <laughs> and even and even more than that, it was like too much stuff, uh, <laughs> like subscriptions. My wife would be like, "Did you get another one?" <laughs> Sorry, um, and I like to read. Uh, I like to read nonfiction, but or I like to read nonfiction more. I think, but if I read fiction, I want it to be good. I don't like to risk my time. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to read a, a crappy book. That's just like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and so I literally, I read non, or I, when I read fiction, it's a classic. I literally go directly to, so I've read a ton of classics okay. because I know it's good. It's worth my time. It has some kind of cultural significance. Yeah. It's got some, it can teach me something, impart some knowledge. Um, and then I like to play golf. Uh, yeah. I, I hang out with my family a lot try to teach my kids uh, recently i've been trying to teach them soccer that's going abysmally oh, really yeah it's it's terrible my <laughs> children have no skills my my daughter is actually in a league and I, this is totally off topic of whatever we're talking about but it was you know she she literally she's such a um a, a performance-minded person she's like literally running around the field and instead of kicking the ball she keeps running by the stands <laughs> waving like you know and i'm like focus on the ball yeah it's like where did she get this desire to be performance <laughs> yeah, so you, you also like soccer i d i played soccer yeah when i was in school um okay. yeah, you know that's a good that's actually a good question do i like soccer yeah that's, i don't know if i do because like because if you're teach trying to teach your your kids maybe it's because you like it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is getting too thought. personal <laughs> no, no i think so i i do like soccer okay but I, but I don't love soccer. Like, I don't watch soccer for fun. Oh, okay. And that's I know that's probably, I don't know, I'm yeah. is it a big deal in Honduras? I'm yeah, just gonna say, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say that's probably a cardinal sin. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not interested in watching a soccer game. And I don't, I played it, but I didn't love it when I played it. Yeah. Um, I didn't get a lot of satisfaction out of it. So now that I now that you say that, that's an, yeah. that's an interesting question. <laughs> but but you, you like, like, or, or at least you know some things about soccer yeah, like and it's fun the i do enjoy biggest players or some of the biggest players uh, see if, if the, i mention you no cristiano you, ronaldo for well, yeah of course uh, yeah of course i mean yes yes messi i actually got to see messi in <laughs> oh, uh, really? barcelona yeah we went to a game um anyway when we were over there yeah. but yeah okay of course i'm gonna know that stuff i thought i thought you were gonna <laughs> mention like more local people like you know so, no, so i mean because that's the thing i don't really follow any teams i don't Um, anyway, yeah. all that to say, my uh, interest in in athletics mm -hmm. is probably like a lot of things. It's more like what does it teach? What's the meaning behind it? What does it uh, do like for me and for my kids? Mm -hmm. And so I want them to be involved in athletics. And actually, this is this would be a great podcast episode. <laughs> Log this away and you can do it with somebody else. But, <laughs> you know, the importance that Aristotle placed on uh, athletics, because I think I used to maybe down play it more I, i would have thought of it as like a lesser and mm -hmm. you know um more the intellectual pursuits of you know reading writing arithmetic all that kind of stuff yeah as being the main portions of the parts of the curriculum but aristotle actually argued and he, he had four major uh avenues or areas of education that we're supposed to study okay uh, that's like good for you to impart on your kids and uh actually what do you think they were the four 
I don't know. Well, if you had to guess, Aristotle, one of the smartest guys that ever lived, maybe the smartest guy who ever lived, who like literally came up with the idea of biology and of, you know, um, uh, literary criticism and all sorts of insane things and philosophy. Uh, what would you think uh, would be his four major things that you should teach your kids? Four I major areas. Um, values? Values. Okay. Well, actually, now in virtue, yeah, that's actually that's a totally different. You went straight for his like main. Yeah. No, okay. So I'm th- I'm thinking like oh uh, history okay, and science, like, right? That's what I was thinking. It okay. Would be. Okay. Okay. Especially science because he's like <clears throat> one of the categorizers yeah. and founders of you know science. Anyway, um, it was uh, the uh, rhetoric, which is more how you would categorize reading, writing, arithmetic, mm-hmm. like you know speech, debate, writing, language, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Music, hmm. um, drawing, and by drawing it included both, I think, like spatial stuff, so it also could include geometric form. So maybe oh, okay. you could say there's some math and science in there, but it's like drawing also artistically. And gymnastics. Huh. And those are his four. And I, I I was confounded by that. I was, you know, I just had expected it to be all like major things that we study, yeah. you know, but under the American system, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming education is probably similar in Honduras, but to think that he would put all these things that we consider extracurriculars mm-hmm. like gymnastics and athletics in as the four main groups. And yeah. it's like, you want your kids to both, you know, be developed mentally, which is in the rhetoric side, mm-hmm. uh, and communication, and then also in music and in uh, drawing and in um, gymnastics. And he said, and this is why I think it's so interesting, that you know, for somebody who um, doesn't fully develop their athleticism or even just their body, mm-hmm. like there's an ideal human form that we could all reach. And it's like if you never strive to reach that, you'll never know what your ideal form is. Mm. Like, like just in your, yeah. athletically and, and physically. And that, I don't know, reading that changed my perspective of, uh, of athletics. And now I'm like really pushing my kids, like, yeah, let's really be active. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it, you know, it's, there's something about like the idea of excellence, of human excellence, yeah. of, you know, both with, uh, I would have more focused on like the, um, intellectual side like Mm -hmm. i want you to get really great grades and really understand things and be able to communicate uh, uh, complicated ideas in a simple way and move people and persuade people but and that be your highest form maybe you'll be a doctor or a lawyer whatever my kids but it's like no i want them to also do it like yes intellectually and socially and spiritually Mm -hmm. and i had a spiritual upbringing so i knew that one was important but but also artistically and even athletically Mm -hmm. and like because when you pursue excellence in one area it kind of affects the others so really as people we should be striving for the most excellent virtuous you could say the good (laughs) um version of ourselves that you can and so that's why i'm i'm trying to help impart that in my children and be like you know this is also something because if you if you let one of those areas just completely fall apart and like not care at all well, they're actually really important areas of life. So if you like don't care at all about you know intellectual pursuits, you're gonna be kind of dumb, <laughs> like very <laughs> limited in your understanding of the world. Or spiritual, if you completely ignore the spiritual pursuits, you're gonna be a spiritually you know empty person. Mm-hmm. And, or athletics, if you just let it fall apart, you're gonna not live as good a life as you could. Yeah. And it's like as you pursue this like model of excellence in all the areas, it you know makes you a, really a better uh, better functioning yeah. person. So from all sports, you chose 
soccer. Well, my <laughs> or, wife or, actually yeah. chose soccer. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and that's what I was saying. That, I think that's why you stopped me, and I had to like over. Yeah. I, I like I really deconstructed this or pulled this apart too much because it was like <laughs> you asked me the simple question of Do you like soccer? Yeah. And I'm like, Do I like soccer? Like, <laughs> well, because I, I I picked it for my kids. Yeah. Um, but I technically it was my wife in a sense that picked it. She signed. So she likes my daughter Ella up soccer. for a league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, and it, it's also an easy one to get little kids. We've yeah. tried, I, I actually bought my son uh, golf clubs. I like golf. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as um, athletic, uh, athletically stimulating in a sense, yeah. or um, maybe there's not as much of, uh, is that accurate? Somebody listening to this that, that plays golf is going to be so <laughs> offended, but um, you know, it, it doesn't have like the team element yeah. And there's not as much of the uh, of the fight, the aggression side of sports mm-hmm. that is actually really important. That's another thing that I won't get into, but it's <laughs> but th- that's part of it. It's like a, a, it, you know because aggression is part of human nature, yeah. and you want to be able to use aggression, even though most most people think of it as a negative, but it's really not a negative. It can be, but it's like you have to be able to use it in a way that's uh, that's good, and that's one way to use aggression in a good for a yeah. good pursuit. Uh, and you know, really, business or uh, different things like that, similar can be similar. You mm-hmm. want to have, uh, you know, aggression is not always bad. We don't want to teach kids to be wimpy, you know, uh, passive people. Um, anyway, golf is doesn't seem to really fit <laughs> yeah. that though because it's not as aggressive. You're not like trying to, you know, uh, unless you you use fly your tackle, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to push someone, <laughs> yeah, to hit somebody, yeah, which would not be a good, yeah. you know, pursuit. But no. anyway, but I got my son golf clubs and we. We played, and he's three, so mm-hmm. I mean, very young to be playing anything like that. But um, he actually wasn't bad. I try. I was. He he was getting where he could swing it and hit it. And then my five year old daughter wanted to jump in, and she was terrible. And so <laughs> it's like it's funny. Like they definitely fall into some uh, gender stereotypes. Where it's like my daughter is not as interested in sports as my son. Yeah. Like he's he. If there's a ball, he's all over it. And her, I have to like coax her into it. But she's very artistic. Like, I mean, she can memorize songs. She hears a song once and she can sing it and do this whole performance. And oh, it's wow. like, you know, di- you know, whatever, different gifts. Yeah. So anyway, they do have kind of natural. Uh, and I have a third on the way. So it'll be interesting to see as a boy. It'll be interesting to see what his, oh. you know, if he yeah. follows after, <laughs> you know, one or the other, what, what his interest is going to be in. Yeah. But anyway, so we're doing soccer now. And I've also done baseball <laughs> with him. Uh, just yeah, I mean t-ball mm-hmm. stuff, you know, kind of idea, and uh, and we'll see, we'll see which one. Uh, you know, I I had always wished that I played basketball earlier because I'm tall, yeah. and could run. You know, it, th- that was part of the reason I think soccer was easier for me was because I I could outrun people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I never. I, it's like I started too late, and of course you can you know pick up on things, but I really think in a lot of different areas, uh, you see this with uh, certain linguistic skills. And even some intellectual pursuits, and I think in some of the um, athletic pursuits, basketball is one that does require a lot of athleticism. And if you don't do it at all, and I I really didn't for whatever reason, I wasn't as interested in it. So by the time I tried, I was like (laughs) going to jump into it in junior high and like start basketball. (laughs) And I was like, clearly it was like, eh, and I would get fouled out of every game because like, you know, people hit me and I hit them Mm -hmm. back and it didn't go well. (laughs) Yeah. So not, that was not my, that was not my game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking because uh, for example, with language, if you want to learn a language the earlier in your life, you learn it, for example, it, it will be easier to do it. Yeah. But if you try to learn, I don't know, Japanese at 40 years old. Oh, yeah. Or even probably, 20 or 30, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, right now I don't know if I will learn a, another language. Oh yeah, <laughs> by this age, but now I, you got I, me feeling guilty. I need to teach my kids a foreign language too. <laughs> no, like we're also trying to do music with them. Yeah, like we're trying to. My daughter's doing some like basic <clears throat> piano stuff. We literally, we one of the things I do in my work life, mm -hmm. I run a music school, Magic Music Academy, yeah. teaches all the orchestral instruments. And so it's kind of ironic that my kids are like, they haven't <laughs> really started lessons. My daughter, we're doing some basic piano and I'm like, we need to get her on the violin <laughs> and get my son on the trumpet. You know? Yeah. But anyway, it's just a lot. Parenting is a lot because you have, it, it's like you have this little person, this little mind that you're trying to mold in all these different ways. And it's like this constant tension of, Am I molding them spiritually in the right way? Am I yeah. talking about God enough? Am I teaching them, you know, who he is, what we believe, why we do what we do? Uh, it, athletically, my goodness, like, do am I taking them out and teaching them and having these influences where they can kind of find what their interest is yeah. and develop these skills early enough? Intellectually, I'm sitting there last night going through my, the letters with my three-year-old and I'm mm -hmm. like, want to pull my hair out. And we're like, what letter is this? And he's Z, <laughs> Z. No, it's not Z. You've said that <laughs> 10 times. It's T. It doesn't look anything like Z. Anyway, but it's like you, you have to, you only have so much time with them. And anyway, I guess that's life with us too. You're talking about learning things and yeah. doing things like you have so much time to, to be doing something that's profitable anyway. Did it feel scary for you the, when you had your first uh, child on how to mold? I, the well, I wish I could say that, that right off the bat I was thinking that way and has, have been a very on-point parent, but really <coughs> I was so busy and the kids start so little. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> no, I didn't think that until uh, probably till my daughter started speaking at a higher level, I think. And, you know, we, I did a lot of reading to her, so I did have that intent. Like, you know, I, I pretty quickly got the idea of, oh, pointed all these different things on the book and, like, learn all the names for them and stuff like that. And then we did our letters. But, uh, no, I, I like, now I've wished that I would have been more on point. I think my third. My third will be, like, the one that's, like, really great. Yeah. No, like, <laughs> you're, that's, like, you, you try out on the first couple. but uh, And that was, for me, I'm the third in my family, so that's mm. why I turned out so great. I'm the third parents, Yeah, see, so our parents were just so, yeah. you know, they're pros by then. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I feel like I, we've talked about doing homeschool for a little bit. Uh, we travel a lot for work and for, you know, because I have two jobs, politics and then also running this company. Yeah. And, um it's, you know, we thought about just trying a little bit because our, it would be easier with our travel schedules. And I feel like as long as I'm dedicated enough, I could do a good job, mm -hmm. you know, with homeschooling. But um, anyway, yeah, it is kind of that constant. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, hit oh, <laughs> just whack the mic. <laughs> I'm talking with my hands too much. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, as long as, as long as I can be dedicated enough and, uh, you know, on point, Make sure they get a good education, not yeah. going. I want to be like, I want my kids to be like me when I go back into school. If I do yeah. homeschool, I don't want them to go in and be like, wow, they're really behind. You know, I want to be, <laughs> be like, oh, wow, they're really ahead. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah thanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your professional career now. Um, you're 33 years old, but you have had a good path in your professional career. You have had a lot of experience. Um, I read, I read your Wikipedia page, uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did a little bit of research for, from that part. Um, uh, and it said that you are also a filmmaker. 
So my Wikipedia says that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know oh, if that's I know. true. Yeah, I well, I was gonna say I almost said no, that's not true, but I guess it's probably talking about. Um, so we did a film uh, called uh, Operation Arctic Viking Invasion, which oh, is a okay. patch the pirate. One of the main things that we do at Majesty Music, we publish a kids uh, audio drama mm-hmm. uh, musical program. It's on a lot of Christian radio stations. It's been around since like '79, so it's a long-standing uh, program. And uh, mm-hmm. we published that, and it's all audio based. But we decided to do one movie, so we mm-hmm. had a big foray in foray into animation, and that was interesting. Um, and I was the producer on that, uh, the executive producer, and was really involved. So I guess that's probably why that's on there. I was not aware that was on there. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So I I, I do not <laughs> think of myself or claim to be a filmmaker, but no. that's what it's talking about. And it was. Uh, it was quite the project. It was like mm-hmm. an hour long film, all animated. Oh, wow. But it was it, it took a, a a program that I had written. I was the main writer of that um, story. Uh, it's a fun story. It kind of is uh, a princess story, but it's like a Christian take on it. Like a, a basically whether or not uh, somebody should follow their heart. Mm-hmm. Like whether that's like the the best way to guide your life. And uh, anyway, and it's also a, a patch. Of, it's in the patch of pirate world. So it it was fun, but uh, I I am not a filmmaker, okay. I, and I didn't draw the the drawings that they used for the animation was actually by an artist that does storybooks for us, mm-hmm. and then the studio that did it um, I can't remember the name maybe Out of Order Studios or something like that they did most of the animation I was just the executive pr- producer overall okay. and I directed the script and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, so you're you have to have modified that part of the Wikipedia. Problem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not very techy, so you'd have to show me how, to, or I could try to have somebody yeah. fix that. Yeah, the yeah. main thing. So at Majesty, I run the business, mm-hmm. and um, we travel a lot. I do a lot of speaking engagements. Uh, we do kids programs too. So we kind of have split. The Majesty stuff is like choral music, sacred music. There's a hymnal. We have books that we publish. Uh, we have devotionals and um, and then that's all the kind of more adult side and uh, you know, sacred music recordings. And then mm-hmm. we also have a, a whole kid side that's in the Patch the Pirate world. So I write uh, the scripts for that. We do one a year. They're about an hour and a half. Uh, and uh, they're actually very widely um, distributed and listened to. We have about a million streams a month oh, wow. on the program. So, yeah, it's a good longstanding um series we have it's a lot of fun we all play characters on it mm-hmm. but i write those and direct them and then my wife and i and two other people write the music with us because uh, they're they're musicals yeah so that's kind of the other main thing that that we do <laughs> how did you start to getting um involved in majesty music so i was actually uh, i had just finished law school was practicing and i was dating uh megan um and we were getting more serious megan hamilton at the time her family is who Her dad is Patch the Pirate. He lost his eye to cancer mm-hmm. uh, when he was teaching music or something like that. And he lost his eye to cancer, started wearing a patch, and he already did uh, the kids' program at their church, so mm. everybody started calling him Patch the Pirate. Hmm. And he was already writing. He was a well-known songwriter already in his own right. And so they just did some stuff for kids. They were going to do an album for kids with, like, okay. you know, silly kids' songs or whatever. And in between the songs, he was like, hey, we should just have, like, a short little, like, Uh, ahoy mates i'm that's <laughs> the pirate and like next song we're gonna sing is about whatever you know about trusting the lord or about <laughs> um, not being fearful or about you know doing your chores whatever yeah. song it and he 
he was the patch. Mm-hmm. He voiced the character, and then he had other funny ones. There's like oysters, and there was a whale and a seagull. His wife did a seagull, and it just took off. Like that, the the recording came out, and people loved it because it was you know there were some funny lines and silly voices, and kids wanted to listen to it over and over again. And so that was really after that first one, everybody was saying, "Hey, are you going to do another one?" Mm. And so he then he really turned it into an actual story. It was more of a you know a full plot and um, more solidified the characters and what they were, and it just really uh, t- took off. In fact, it's one of the largest uh, children's religious broadcasts um, in the world. Wow, still, and so you know. That's from 79 until now. So something that he never expected to do with losing an eye to cancer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to be, you know, his one of his main life's work. And mm-hmm. he actually just passed away, yeah. uh, Ron Hamilton. Uh, that's my father-in-law. And so um, he had dementia for many years. So he was still writing. I had just graduated college or law school. And he asked my wife and I to help on one of the scripts. And so, oh, you know, actually it was right before I graduated because I oh. remember sitting in law school, the first one, he gave, he sent me the script. He wasn't happy with it. Somebody else had done a script for one of the stories. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up on Patch the Pirate. And it might not mean, I don't, you, were you familiar with it before? No. Okay. So if you grow up on Patch the Pirate, if anyone's <laughs> listening, like you are like a Patch groupie. It's like Veggie Tales is like another, uh-huh. like in the Christian circles, like something that you grow up listening to. Or like if you're a big Disney fan, it would be similar to that. Like you are, these are your characters. Yeah. Like you know these. And so here's Patch the Pirate asking me to write a Patch the Pirate, something I grew up on. I was like, yes, of course I'll do that. Thank you very much. So I'm like sitting in property law class, like writing a script about talking elephants and stuff like that. And I was already like, huh, I wonder if my life's going to be different than I thought thought it would be. And so we came and he loved the script and said, why don't you direct the whole thing? And so we came in and in this studio, actually, and they had it all set up and it was production day and it was an hour something long script with all these actors. I mean, just hilarious voice actors that they got um, to do all these different parts. And I directed it. And my wife uh, directed it with me. And mm. after that, he was so happy with it. He was like, hey, I want you to write the whole thing and direct the whole thing next year. And so that was, it was right around that time in the second one that, you know, they didn't know he had dementia, but they knew he was slowing down. Mm-hmm. And that they approached us and said, hey, look, this is a, a large ministry. We, you know, we want to keep it going. We think that you two can do it. He's got business knowledge you're both good at writing she can write music he wrote scripts and directed them like is this something y'all possibly might want to take over and we were like it wasn't anything it wasn't anything i thought i would ever do but what we said yes and started it and like immediately i mean just a couple months into it i was like this is such be- so much better than law. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. Well, I'm kind of kidding. It was it was very much a clear um, sign in, in my you know I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I have strong religious beliefs. I feel I I I very much took it to be a very clear sign from God that this is what He wanted me to do, yeah. and I just so enjoyed it more than I did other things that I had done in my professional life. I had done sales and I had practiced law. And uh, anyway, and it's still one of the things that we enjoy doing most because it has, and maybe I I like to dig into the meaning of things. Maybe that's why I'm interested in (laughs) in the political and philosophical arena, but there's meaning behind it. You know, the, the patch, the pirate kids programs, they all, it's like teaching kids going directly back to what we were talking about with Aristotle's different spheres of life, you know, in the spiritual realm, it's like helping kids develop that at a very young age, like thinking about things that are much deeper than just, oh, you know, 
be good. It's like, okay, well, what is that? What does good mean? You know, what are good values? What yeah. are, you know, what is the answer and the meaning to meaning of life? And like getting kids at a young age to think about these type things and think about how to treat other people and, you know, what, it, what the grand scheme of what virtue and what, what is good in life. And, uh, anyway, we, we very, uh, clearly try to present in each one, the gospel, uh, so that kids can, at a very young age can kind of hear that and know who Jesus is, know the story of him and, you know, who God is, th- you know, things like that. And so it's, just, it's very meaningful uh, work that we really enjoy doing. Mm. Uh, and how did you end up being the president of Majesty? It was around that time as well? Uh, no, it was a couple years. Okay. So I was just, we were just coming on to help with the work. I was going to help do the business, mm-hmm. uh, help more do managing day-to-day stuff, and then do we were going to do all the creative stuff. But um, they, yeah, they liked what we were doing. We started traveling a lot, became more the face of it. Uh, mm. And it just became more clear, I think, to them that, that they wanted us to actually take it over and, and do more of it. So it was about, I think, three years into us working that they actually had me take over as president. Okay. So, and I've done that now since, I think that might be 2018, okay. like that. And as person of Majesty Music, what is your vision for the organization and how do you plan to achieve the, that vision? Yeah, well, it's I try to be um, consistent because it is a, you know, it's a legacy business in some ways or ministry. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. My grandfather-in-law actually started it. So not even Ron, it was his father-in-law, Dr. Frank Garlock. And they were, you know, producing music for churches, like choral, sacred choral music uh, and It, his goal was to um, create a resource that is helpful for families, for churches, uh, for parents, you know, whatever, yeah. um, and and to have impact, uh, you know, in, on the world in those specific arenas and all for the glory of God. And so we've kind of used that saying, I want to be consistent to the mission and still kind of focus on those. Like our main goals are, are to be a blessing to churches and to families. And so everything I want to kind of fall into one of those categories, like we do a lot of music still and we do programs and things that directly relate to churches. Um, And then we all like with our choral music and we still do Christmas cantatas and all Mm. sorts of things like that. We do kids uh, programs that churches use like for regular kids programs. And then also going right to the family and the individual with uh, the patch apart audio recordings. And then we, Uh, like Shelly, my mother-in-law, Shelly Hamilton, uh, she wrote a book called Always Only Good, which just came out last year, and it did very, very well. The whole book is about uh, mental illness, and uh, that's a huge, long story that I don't know if you want me to go into right now, but it, uh, <laughs> my, my wife's brother committed suicide um, a couple years ago, and it was a very big, uh, I mean, it was public, suicide he jumped off a building downtown so it was very and and they were they were a a family that's in the community that a lot of people know a lot of like i said literally hundreds of thousands of people have grown up on the patch pirate stuff so to have one of the kids do that was very much like oh my word what what happened what what was going on and he was i think in his early 30s um and so she just wrote this book that it just is so transparent and so raw it's just like told the whole story Like he took a um, medication when he was in uh, college uh, for acne, actually, that one of the side effects, potential side effects, which almost no no one it happens to, but it can be, is to uh, bring on a schizophrenia. And so that's what happened. He started exhibiting all these bizarre 
behaviors and just changed overnight and like started getting worse and worse. And they, they, they didn't know anything about mental illness. They had like no re, you know, real interaction with it. Like so many families, I mean, that's very common. People, yeah. uh, some people deny it and they're like, Oh, well maybe it's just, you know, something personal. Maybe you just need some kind of spiritual help. Maybe you just, yeah. whatever. And, um, it's like they realized pretty quick that he needed serious medical attention. So he went through this whole series of doctors and trying to find something. And he got to the point where he wasn't even functioning, you know, and like was lying on in, in bed all day. Well, they finally got him on a medication uh, and on a, with a doctor. Everything seemed to be really good. Mm-hmm. And he was working. Everything seemed to be going well. And then he took himself off the medication and nobody knew. He just stopped taking it. It was like acting like he took it. And so that's when he committed suicide. He was very much out of his mind and off his medication. And so all that to say, the main thing that Ron and Shelly are known for, literally their testimony, the thing that's made their ministry so big was a song called Rejoice in the Lord that Ron wrote right after he lost his eye to cancer. So he loses his eye to cancer and he says, wow, this trial, God's so good. Like, and I can rejoice even through hard trials in life. And so that was what they were known as like, oh, they're the people about trials. Mm. And then, you know, for the next 20 years, they write all these kids programs that kids grow up with and they hear and sing every night and they're funny and everybody loves them. Meanwhile, they're going through this awful trial of their son, like losing his mind, like doing bizarre, awful things, like with threats of suicide over and over again. I mean, just this miserable, in some ways, a miserable story. And yet through it all, they're like being joyful, they're being um, consistent, mm-hmm. they're still like maintaining their faith. And um, and so after he passed away, she literally writes this book and it's like the continuation of the story. It's like, you know, now I've gone through something way worse than losing your eye to cancer. Like, yeah. <laughs> like really, like lo- suddenly losing your eye to cancer seems like nothing, like when your son dies this awful death and Mm -hmm. it's suicide and it, and has a 15 year bout with this awful illness. And she just writes it. So you need to, you check out the book. If you've not read it, it's always only good. It's like, there's just so many moments that hit you going back to like the kind of the deeper point of things. It's like, you know, life is hard and life is uh, difficult and there are trials and miserable elements of it all around. Um, and you know, your, your faith, like what you, in a sense, how you get through it is so important and it's like, it, it's worth dealing with and like mm-hmm. understanding like what's going on and wrestling with it. And she says that I wrestled with my beliefs cause I've been always thought that, Oh God, God exists. God is good. His, the Bible tells me that he's good, but it's like when you actually deal with awful, miserable things that are not good at all, like there's yeah. nothing good about your kid, you know? killing themselves and having a miserable illness. But it's like, I know that even through this, I'm going to maintain my faith that God is good. He didn't create the world like this. You know, sin came into the world through the fall and that God is actually the one who's going to redeem this whole fallen earth Mm -hmm. with this plan, you know, through his son. And that like, he is so good that there's actually a plan that I can get through all this and that there's a point to all of this, that it's not just that this world is all it is and I can just be miserable and, and it can, you know, and my life can be meaningless. And it's like, no, that's not true. Like there is more. And my son, you know, Jonathan was a believer and actually wrote music. And, um, when he would have like the lucid intervals when he was, you know, doing well, and it's like there's this hope of for him, you know, as somebody who trusted Christ as a savior and who was a believer, that they'll see him again, that only he'll be well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that Ron, you know, even after going back to like he had dementia 
And so then after she goes through like the cancer stuff and then the loss of the son, then she has another six year bout where she's dealing with her husband mm-hmm. who has dementia, who stopped speaking and, and it gets bedridden and she's like caring from constantly. And it's like yet another trial. And yeah. still she's able to say, Hey, God's good. Like, and I'm going to use this platform and you know, this uh, ministry that God's given me and these circumstances, even though they're some awful to help other people and yeah. point them to God, to meaning, to things that, that matter and and ultimately lead them uh, to a relationship with God and uh, and healing and things like that. So it's a really awesome story. But that's that's like the core of what we do. Our mission is to literally just share share our stories and ministries to help encourage others, mm-hmm. and most importantly, to share uh, the truth that uh, is in the Bible to help hurting families and churches. And uh, you know, we're like I said, we're just a very on the nose Christian, very like very strong faith. And we believe that the Bible is truth. And so the more we can teach the Bible and its principles to families and kids and Mm -hmm. churches, the more uh, the world will be a better place, the more it will impact those families for eternity and for good. And, uh, and so that's really at the core of what we do and why we do it. Wow. That's a big testimony of all those situations that maybe for another person or even myself, if, I was going through all those situations. I don't know if I will have that faith as strong as they kept it through all the situations. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you yeah. you wonder. Yeah, and Shelly actually at one point in the book it's such a she says that it that it's like she was she was mad or angry mm-hmm. with God because it's like you've got the wrong kid like this is my son who's been a good kid forever he served you he wanted to be a pastor and like and they wanted him to take over majesty they wanted him to be the next patch the pirate and it's like oh he enjoys doing it this is he's going to do all these great things we've served you like we've done all these and yet you're forcing him to go through all this Mm -hmm. miserable awful thing but she said it was like that learning process of you know what like if god is who he said he is and we know he's good It's like I trust him and I accept like the things that are in my life mm-hmm. and I just I praise him through them and know that he's got a point. The Bible says that he'll work it together for good and that he is going back to that he is so good. He has a way to redeem all of this. Yeah. Like it's not like he he didn't he didn't want the world to be in this fallen state to have these kind of like illness and death and suicide and cancer and dementia and all those things that are just all around us plaguing us. You know, It's like those came about because of the devil and because of sin and they're very real and they're very much a part of our lives. And it's like, we can actually have hope through them and really become conquerors and triumph over them because of God, because he gave us a way to find redemption, which is ultimately, you know, through his son and finding peace with God and being able to have this hope of, you know, of an eternal uh, state where we are cleansed and we're healed. And um, anyway, and it's just, it, it's very, it's a, it's a very strong testimony and it, yeah. it resonates with people and it, it's very um, hope giving. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think course. that's why, you know, so many people will go to churches and she'll talk about this and all these people will come up and so many people in, um, in the world and even, but even in the church world are experiencing this stuff. Mm -hmm. They have family that have these mental illnesses, but they don't, you know, so often you don't want to talk about it because it's hard and you're not sure what people are going to think. And, and so it's so good to have somebody, I think that is so open about it and, and just telling people, Hey, look, like it's fine. 
it, it like it's not fine, but it's fine. Like it's it's an awful trial, but it's also fine to talk about, and it's mm-hmm. a very real part of life. And like it's it, it, it your kid having mental illness isn't your fault. It's like, but people treat it like that. It's like a, a, something that you want to almost hide and, and keep people from knowing. And it's like, no, it's like, just like love them and serve them just like you would anybody else Mm -hmm. and like treat them, you know, with dignity and like a, like a normal person in a sense. And, and then also know that like there is a point to it and that ultimately God can be glorified through it and has a plan in it. Yeah. Um, how old was he when everything happened? Jonathan, yeah. I think he was uh, he was in college. I think he was like a freshman in college or sophomore in college when he first uh, had the onset. Oh. So yeah, and he had it I think for fifteen years. For fifteen. So years. after that, yeah, wow. yeah, and it was it's it's she she details it very you know thoroughly in the book, um, and and she also does a good job of kind of if, if you're walking through that with somebody. Let, things that she learned that they learned and that um even ways of thinking about uh mental illness mm-hmm. like from a christian's pers- perspective for sure uh and but just like practical ways of of dealing with it and um anyway like i said that there's hope through it regardless yeah. of what the circumstances because of, you know she had the almost the most awful version mm-hmm. where literally you lose the person to suicide yeah but uh that's most people that's not their story it's it's different but it's like even in the worst version it's like there's hope and there's goodness and God is still good and there's still like a redeeming side of it. But she also, and one of the parts that in my mind is the most impactful, most meaningful is, uh, you know, she points out that, you know, there's so many things on earth where maybe you go through a trial and you can point to it and say, ah, this is why God made me go through this or I had to mm-hmm. go through this. It was for this good thing that happened. Like Patch lost his eye to cancer, but this patch apart program started and you know, kids across the world love it. And it is so impactful, but there are absolutely things that on this side of eternity, we'll never understand. Like, you know, losing your son to, you know, uh, suicide and and mental illness, you know, there's not really good that you're going to be able to point to like, Oh yeah, she's helping people deal with, you know, mental illness. And she's like, well, honestly, I would rather have my son. (laughs) and it's like that's a little jarring but she's like you know i i I know i want to be a help to people but i would rather have my son (laughs) like well so but it's like that on this side of eternity you're not going to really know mm -hmm. what the good is that that come of it or or why but you don't need to like that's like god is omniscient he's all-knowing he's in in control and we aren't we're pretty limited what we know is the bible tells us he's good that he's got it that and our obligation is to love others, like love the world around us, and like love him, and that that's going to change and do the, the the good for him for his glory uh, here to change this world right now and leave all the the some of the greater grander details that you're not yeah. going to understand and like leave those and just praise him that he's got it and, and that's who he is and that's like that's the, it's such a strong testimony of faith because I think it's so easy to cheapen faith mm-hmm. as like oh faith is just something I believe. And like, it's like, it's almost like not as important as other things, but it's like, no, no, no. Like faith is like what can sustain you like for, and, and maybe like as a, as a Christian, it, it, it is what we exist for is to walk in a relationship and know God and have faith in him. And, uh, and yes, you impact the world by doing those things, but like the, the real point of it is to worship God and have a relationship with this, you know, almighty infinite being who is the 
reason you're created, who created you for a purpose and wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah. Uh, with all, all these testimonies from Majesty, what is the overall impact that Majesty Music has in the area or in the country or even in the world? What's its reach? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, there's like numbers I could throw out, but I, I think we'll have to wait to, to see in eternity what the actual impact is. Yeah. I hope that the impact is, you know, that it's really impacting mm -hmm. families, encouraging them to uh, grow in faith and in their love for each other and in service, service, servant mindedness toward other people, those around them. Um, I know that it's, like I said, it's there's a million streams per month and they're all over the world. Churches use the music all over the world. Um, I, th I think it's the third most syndicated uh, children's radio program in the country, something like that. Um, so like there's, there's, there is a big reach and, you know, tons of churches use it and all that's great. But I think if it's what we really want is for, you know, the, the program in that moment when kids are listening to it, I'm hoping that they hear uh, Jesus in it that they hear the gospel in it, that they they hear about who God is and how to talk to him, how to know him. And that that, you know, that that faith is, you know, germinating in their hearts, that they can come to that yeah. knowledge and and literally live their lives for this much grander purpose that God designed. Um, that, you know, that's what I'm really hoping. And I know that we'll, we'll get letters and stuff that people say that are now adults that are like, hey, I listened mm. to this and I got saved as a kid or I got called to the mission field and okay. went off to, you know, somewhere and served as a missionary because <laughs> I listened to, there's this one called Patch Goes, Patch Power Goes to the Jungle and it's a, there's a missionary in it and there's a, a kids in the program in the story and at one point he sings a song here am i lord send me and it's about that being mm. willing to go and anyway so it's just funny to hear those experiences but that's that's what i i think our greatest hope would be that it grows uh builds the kingdom of god and has eternal impact mm -hmm. well uh for of course majesty is a big area in your life now and uh it's it's a great project i think for for all this mission that majesty has for for not only maybe the state or the country for the world because i mean it can reach all around the world i think it also has a um, a program in spanish right yeah mm -hmm. so although i'm trying to get the music is in spanish but they actually don't have the a full patch of heart adventure in spanish okay. i'm trying to work on that Because that's one, you know, one of our largest uh, audiences is actually in South America. Yeah. And so uh, for the music. And so it's like they, they really need the story, too, because, you know, you, that's the, the really fun part that connects with kids is having yeah. a very uh, a story that captures their imagination and, and imparts the truth in that way. And so, yeah, hopefully coming soon, yeah. the Spanish version. But really, I, I'm working with some great. people to translate one. And then but the thing is, you have to have translators to translate the script. Then you have to have the actors mm -hmm. and a director to direct the actors to do all of that. You know, in there, because I don't want the Spanish version to be the massively B version. Like the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have the English version is where all the good actors are, but I don't know. I can't direct it and don't know what's going on. So yeah. just kind of let <laughs> them do like a, you know, a talking crocodile or a, you know, hypochondriac elephant or something. Whatever the story <laughs> is there, I don't want the the you know their acting to be like this very monotone and just not interesting at yeah. all. It's like no, they need to be or, or a goofy villain. Like they need to have the like the same kind of acting ability. So it's just a little more difficult. And then also the singing. So <laughs> I need singers, <laughs> actors in Spanish. This is a throw, you know, throw out there if you know anybody. Yeah, <laughs> Send it's, <them> my way. <laughs> it's a big problem when you have to do these big projects and you yeah. don't even know where to start. Maybe that's, that's uh, difficult, but 
We uh I I also want to talk with you about your career as politician. Mm -hmm. So before we were talking a little bit about how you started and how everything worked out on your path to becoming um a member of the House of Representatives, but uh can you explain a little bit more on how that started when you, uh if you had previous experience in politics before being a member of the um, House of Representatives too? Yeah, I so I worked on campaigns and I knew I took uh, legislation which was a class in law school and I did really well at it. I actually got the top grade and that was when I knew uh I already knew I was interested but I thought man I I think I could actually like write legislation and, and enjoy the crafting it and and debating it and which is of course in the arena of being in the house or in the senate. Mm -hmm. Um and but I think that my first real foray into politics was I kind of became a campaign manager on a larger scale campaign. And uh, it was through that with seeing the fundraising side and the ground game and the, you know, the candidate uh, speeches and debate, all that kind of stuff that got me more, uh, you know, got my teeth cut in it. <laughs> and so, and I knew then that I was like, I think I one day want to be the candidate. Uh, after I got into office, It was weird transitioning from candidate to um, you know actually being an elected official, mm -hmm. uh, and I have mostly enjoyed it. Uh, there was a time during COVID that I got so um, what's the right word frustrated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's part of the partly the right word. You know, it's like the world collectively lost their mind during COVID, and it's like you had every other call during that 2020 that year it was like i'd have one person call me saying you know you're you know the blood of the children is on your hand because you're not you know because people are out at lowe's right now and you know buying stuff and they should be home and y'all aren't locking everybody down and then the next call is you are a bunch of fascist you know <laughs> totalitarian <laughs> nut jobs yeah. you know, i can't believe you're not out there protesting the governor you know <laughs> throwing stuff through the governor's mansions windows <laughs> it's just like it's like you really collectively it's like the country lost their mind and i'm yeah. sure the world um and so that was not an enjoyable time to be in politics but i learned a lot from it i, I partly i learned you know there's so there politics the fear plays so much into politics more than it should uh you know I, you want to you know to shine light and speak truth in polit in the political arena but to like th there's there is this like motivation of scaring people and having people freaked up freaked out in order to motivate them to do something and i think that we should be moving away from that and moving towards more positive positive reforms i am i am a big reformer in the house in fact if you i'm somewhat incendiary and in, in, in inflammatory in the house i'm the chair of the freedom caucus in south carolina so very conservative um i do not mince words when it comes to my viewpoints on special interest and their control in politics and um I don't mind uh, bucking leadership and the system. In fact, I'm one of the people that more regularly does it. And I think we need more of that in politics. But I do think there's kind of a, over the last couple of years, you've gotten more and more of this kind of conspiracy theory and this, uh, um, like I said, the fear mongering side of politics, which I do not appreciate. Like we got, we got enough real problems to deal with than like making up fake conspiracy ones. You know what I'm saying? Like the truth is bad enough. It's like, just, yeah. just be honest <laughs> with the truth and have people focus on that. That'll motivate them enough to change it. than like making up ridiculous, you know, conspiracies yeah. and trying to scare people. What functions do you have as a member of the, 
Uh, well, you know, pub- as a public figure, you know, you're a, you are people's mouthpiece mm-hmm. uh, into governance. Uh, we can draft legislation. We can speak on issues. We can go out and we have a pulpit that other people don't as community leaders. Um, the, obviously, the most, um, the most clear one is that you can write legislation, amend legislation that other people write, and you can vote up or down on legislation. And so, you know, that I vote no a lot, to be quite frank with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I generally, oppose, I, I'm very conservative. My viewpoint of government is keep it as limited as possible. Like people generally uh, like can be good stewards of their own lives, Mm -hmm. but like government is important for public safety and, you know, for certain, you know, core government functions and those they should do exceedingly well, have those very well funded. Um, But we in, especially in uh, the U S in the last couple of decades have embraced more uh, socialistic tendencies of like the government getting involved in all sorts of areas that, that are the private sector. And every time we do, we do it very badly, (laughs) like very badly. Like we're just, we try to play in the public and the private sector. We try to control businesses or develop businesses and plan things, you know, through government planning. And it's just always a fiasco. So I want to cut that back as much as possible, Mm. like less regulation, less control, less control over people's individual, you know, freedoms and daily lives. And uh, just focus on the core government functions. That's like my main thing in the House is I I, I vote against all the kind of excessive governmental mm-hmm. expansions and um, and I'm always talking about core government functions. People get sick of hearing it. But uh, somebody <laughs> needs, the thing is, you have to have somebody fighting and, and speaking out on those issues or else the like you just have this all-consuming behemoth or leviathan, maybe that's a better yeah. political world, that's always growing and, you know, eating more and more of like whether it's states or local rights or individuals' rights. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other political aspirations in the future? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm like I I'll go through cycles where I'm interested, like I'm ready to step out and take a break. Because, you know, my family's at an age where it just seems like there's there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. And and it's like I don't want to be so busy that I'm missing these years that, you know, you don't get back kind of idea. Uh, but then also it's like that natural progression of your career. <laughs> like yeah. if, it's, if it's like if I want to have the most impact possible in my career, if if politics is a career, quote unquote, for me, um, I want to be moving mm-hmm. uh, in a sense and, and having a greater influence. For yeah. po- If I believe that my viewpoints and my worldview has truth behind it, has the answers for a lot of our the ills in society and will make this country and this world a better place, then I want as to, to expand that and have a bigger platform as possible. Um, and so I don't know that that's the, a long way to answer the question. Yeah. Is I, I don't know. I, would I run for something higher? Yes. Uh, what is the timeline on that? I don't know. And will I definitely, I don't know. And you don't know. Also. I might just help other people run and, and yeah. do that. You know what I mean? Like, the, like cause there's other ways and everything. Yes. And there's other ways or being involved. If I, if I step out next year, or, you know, four years from now, whatever from politics, I'm still going to be very involved in politics. I just might yeah. not be a public official. And so anyway, yeah, that's what true. that looks like, who knows? So <laughs> you, you don't have anything like clear on what will your aspirations be if you wanted to do it like like i'm not gonna position. run for president yeah. <laughs> yeah. For example. you won't ever see an adam morgan for president i can guarantee you that um <laughs> why why I, not i just did i'm not interested in that at all uh the i i would i used to think i would only ever run for state legislature the mm-hmm. house or senate um 
now I don't know about that. I you know Congress, I, I think that you need more people that are willing to stand up to um, establishment forces, and I that term gets used uh, too much uh, and used incorrectly establishment. But you know you you need independent thinkers who are there to speak out truth to power. Uh, and I think Congress needs that more than most places. And also there's a positional, you know, like in, in our area right now, I wish that some of the people were more um, aggressively supportive of things that they say they believe mm-hmm. in those higher offices. So you, effectively using the bully pulpit of some of those higher offices, I would definitely, um, if I, that would be a big motivator for me to run if I was going to do it. I would be like, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to use that to effectively promote our values in a stronger uh, stronger way. But what does it mean? Does it mean Congress? Uh, that maybe, I don't know. Beyond that, I, I doubt that I'm interested in doing too much more than that. In the, in the American system, it's like I'm already in, I'm already in the state legislature. Mm-hmm. And so from there, it's like state legislature to what? Congress, like House or Senate, and then yeah. what? Like cabinet presidents like i don't really want to do that so you know i don't know <laughs> yeah can you discuss any legislative uh, accomplishment that you have had during your uh terms at so we've had a lot one of the early ones you know i got an amendment passed that prohibited members from profiting off of legislation that we pass mm-hmm. so you know in the past we had an issue where people would you know get certain projects for their area and then they would go get the contracts to make money off it. So they were like pushing Um, and it passed once, but then ironically it came back later and they actually pulled it out. And so some members complained they weren't going to be able to make money off of these projects. I thought that's (laughs) kind of the point guys. That's kind of, so that was kind of an ironic twist, but I was also one of the big uh, people who was uh, pushing for removing indoctrination in schools a political partisan indoctrination. Like I have strong political <laughs> viewpoints, as you can tell, yeah. and religious views. And I don't, you know, I don't, you know, pull punches with that stuff. But <laughs> in the classroom, in a public classroom on the taxpayer dime, like I should not be in there. Everything I'm saying on this podcast on the taxpayer dime, like, you know, inculcating that into other people's children, mm-hmm. like against their value systems. Like, no, that's not okay. Like you need to be teaching an education that is non-biased and, mm-hmm. and non-partisan. And we have too many instances uh, where you have clear indoctrination in classrooms on the taxpayer dime in public schools. So we got that bill passed out of the house. That was a big win. Uh, another one, it's a more of a cultural issue, but I think it's a big deal for me that, you know, we had a clinic in South Carolina that was, operating on children and you know it was a pediatric transgender clinic um where they would bring in kids as young as four to discuss like gender changes and sex changes and things like that and we're like that's on the taxpayer dime so it's Mm. like not only is it already like are you kidding you're really going to do that but you're going to use taxpayer money to do that kind of crazy stuff with four to 16 year olds and so we foia'd them and and basically and they ended up shutting down because they were like oh yeah we don't want to be caught you know, yeah. on the on the hook for paying, you know, paying for that kind of junk yeah. on with taxpayer money. Um, anyway, so we've had uh, different wins like that. I also have had a couple. I'm the uh, chair of transportation in South Carolina, the transportation committee, and so I have some bills that I've uh, sponsored or that I've steered out of my committee um, that have improved transportation in South Carolina. Whether it's um, contracts being able to be extended to do more work. Uh, and, and more efficiently and faster. And then uh, the slower traffic move right law was a big one, uh, which uh, in, in the U.S., if you have two lanes and people are driving, 
one, the left lane is supposed to be the fast lane. Mm. So any American listeners are like, yes, the left lane is a fast lane <laughs> and you're slow move over. Well, in South Carolina, they could just literally get over there and go super slow in the fast lane and it clogs up traffic. It's actually dangerous because then people try to zoom around and pass on the left side or yeah. on the right side. And so that's when you have accidents that happen, when people are doing a lot of lane changes, especially at different speeds. And so we had passed a law that a lot of other states have where if you're driving slower, you have to move to the left lane so people can, I'm sorry, I keep saying it wrong, move to the right lane yeah. so people can pass in the left lane. Okay. So we got that passed through the committee. It was another big one that I worked on. And we got school choice uh, options. Anyway, we've done and been able to do a lot. But what I think is the most effective thing I've done in my time in office is starting the Freedom Caucus. I was a founding member. We had 13 people initially. I grew it to 20. And just having a group of people willing to f- stand up every day and fight and, and ask questions and actually debate things mm. and make people think about why we're spending earmarks on certain projects. Yeah. Uh, just bringing so much transparency and accountability to the legislature in South Carolina, which is the good old boy system. It's one of the worst, to be quite frank with you. Um, if you compared it, it would be more like, uh, um, it, anyway, we're just one of the worse when it comes to those uh, areas. So we're really helping to change that. And so long after I'm out of politics, I hope that that group continues to stand for those things and fight for that. And that'll probably be always one of the things that I'll look to and say that's one of the things that I um, am the most happy with and that I feel like accomplished the most in my time. Hmm. Can you share any advice for any person that wants to get more involved in politics or they want to start any advice that you can give them? Yeah, I mean, the first is just show up. That's what, you know, people say all the time. But, you know, decisions are made by people who show up. And so I showed up and just worked on some campaigns. And that was that let one thing led to another led to another. And I was running. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, if you have the interest, just uh, work on campaigns, volunteer. And like anything, especially for younger people. So if you have any college age people listening. In general, in life, like people will always ask the question, like, what's the secret to success? Like, how do I get a better job? How do I become a candidate? How do I whatever? And I think it's so easy. It's like basic 101, like do good work. No, no, no. Do great work. That's it. Yeah. Like whatever, wherever, whatever, like whatever you're doing, wherever you are, like you show up at a campaign, volunteer and crush it. Like outwork all the other volunteers. That's what I did. I went and w- worked for a campaign and like I really wanted to win the campaign and cared about it. And when other kids, you know, because we were kids working on this campaign, mm-hmm. they would go out and they would do door knocking and they would maybe do like half of a list over a week. And okay. then, you know, I'm like literally cranking out whole lists. Like give me another neighborhood, give me another neighborhood. And I'm doing signs. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like it, it was like, I, I, I get obsessive with things. But I think in life, in different things that I've noticed, whether it was like in um, intellectual pursuits, academically, mm-hmm. like I would get obsessed and do really well in school because I was just so fixated. I would carry around the like the flashcards and just all the time, like just l- memorizing things because I wanted the best grade possible or I wanted to be the best campaigner possible when I was working on a campaign or uh, in, in politics, I want to do a good job. I want to I want to be a good speaker. So I want to have like what to say and, yeah. you know, prepared speeches, things like, like I know, like have a reason and not just to, you know, fly by the seat of my pants and you know, wing it. Like I want to actually do good work and be a good representative. And so anything you're doing, the more you do that, the more employers, the more, you know, people on a campaign that are working, you watching you, they're going to then re- refer you to other things. And that's what happened with me. People would be like, Hey, you should do this. You should work at this law firm. Oh, you should come, 
work at Majesty. Oh, you did this great job directing. You did such a great job directing. I want you to take it over. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, or, oh, you should run, uh, work on a campaign. You should work for this person. You should run for office. Oh, here, let me help you. Oh, you're good at that. You should be the chairman of mm-hmm. our caucus. It's like, oh, you should. Now I got people wanting me to run for other offices because they, they've seen the work that I've done at yeah. this office. And so there's no magic like, oh, read this book or, oh, you know, study this, major in this, you know, marry this person, whatever. All those things can factor in. Mm-hmm. But like literally it's as simple as do great work where you are and that, and that will open up doors all over the place. Because people will know you as somebody who's competent, who does good work, and they're going to want you on their team or want you as their rep or whatever. Hmm. Well, that's uh, great advice. You even inspired me. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> After all that time, because it's yeah. a long-winded answer. There's nothing good in there. You've really <laughs> wasted some time in your life. Well, that's great. So we're we're getting to the final part of the the podcast today, and the last part is something that I I, I like to do with all the guests. Uh, it's a short phrase or one word answers on different questions. So um, there are a lot of questions. I'll start and you answer, uh, like I'd say, um, with one word question uh, answer or a short phrase. Uh, okay. So the first one is favorite color. Green. Green. I'm going to go so slowly. I overthink <laughs> things. <laughs> This fine, is going to be fine. bad. <laughs> green is my favorite color. Okay. But it, I also like blue, and it's actually blue-green <laughs> is my actual favorite color. Oh, really? <laughs> this, is this, is, uh, this, is a raw, this is not a good thing for me to do, <laughs> but keep going. Uh, what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Coffee. Coffee. Yeah. I wish it were something deeper, like read or pray <laughs> no, or kiss my yeah. wife. It's not. It's to go right to the coffee machine. <laughs> so. Yeah. Religion? A Christian. Christianity is what I should say, but Christian. What is uh, your favorite time of the year? Ah, these questions. Um, uh, fall. Fall. Is that right? I love Christmas. Christmas is Christmas is so great that it's like I, I almost can't even put it up there because, like, of course it's Christmas. So then I want to think what's secondary. So yeah, <laughs> probably fall. I do love. I'm a big gardener. I love, uh, I got really into that uh, a couple years ago, going back to, I keep bringing up Aristotle, but like, you know, that, and some of the um, ancients believed that like, you know, working in the soil and working in the ground is like one of the main things that we were meant to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Garden of Eden, tending the garden kind of idea. Yeah. But it's like, there's such satisfaction in working and the patience and like the fruits of your labor. Anyway. So, um, because of that, I love spring too. because I do, I like to, when I have time, I yeah. like to really like work on our garden and, uh, like especially growing things you can eat or we do, I do a lot of flowers too. My wife likes flowers, but Uh, anyway, so maybe spring, maybe fall. Okay. It depends, maybe. You said on one word, and that was so <laughs> no, long. that's fine. That's ah, fine. I'm sorry. That happens all the time. I know. know? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, let's just go with fall, maybe, <laughs> but also spring. Okay. Uh, what makes you angry? I wanted to say injustice. You said the first word that came to your mind, right? I thought injustice, but goodness, that's such a loaded phrase as far as what, <laughs> what exactly that means. Yeah. Um, anyway, what makes me angry? Yeah, that's that's probably what what makes me angry. What um how would you describe your personality? Ooh. One word? What's what, what, or what? a short phrase? Or a short phrase? Uh, yeah, it can be like you can I mean, <laughs> okay, you know Cicero, 
the ancient Roman. No, you're, you're like, <laughs> no, I don't know. Like your face, like, no. Uh, I, I, I think that I have the same personality as Cicero, so I'm going to say Cicero, but anybody that doesn't know who that is, um, <laughs> I don't know. I fluctuate between thinking that I'm really just like, there's nothing deeper to me than I just like to have fun. And I, so playful might be the answer. Mm-hmm. But then I also like, I'm always like trying to find deeper meaning in things and like search to, and, and like, and can be very task oriented. So I yeah. think I fluctuate between <laughs> like playful and obsessive. Okay. <laughs> like, like with work. Like, so it's like, <laughs> I don't know, one of those two words or it's constantly fluctuating. Okay. Maybe this one will be difficult for you. Then, uh, what will you buy if you receive a gift of, uh, $1 million? What would I buy? I don't think I would buy anything. Do I have to buy something? Or okay. I was gonna say I would probably buy stocks or something. I like to. <laughs> well, yeah, I do like to invest. That's that's always been something that I enjoy. Um, I don't know what I would spend immediately a million dollars on. I would, if I was just given a million dollars and I was told to go and spend it, mm-hmm. I would probably spend it on several things, and I would divvy that up between um, some things for enjoyment some things to have uh, an impact on some in, in some capacity, whether that's donating or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would probably use some of it to, to um, for a campaign. <laughs> 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 I, would, I probably would use some yeah. of it for a campaign. So there you go. Do you, I, don't know. Do you have I would to buy an office. Wow, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> do you have to spend a lot of money for uh, your campaigns? Uh, not, not not too much. So the, the at the point that I'm at right now, oh, you're going to get me going on something really <laughs> long. I need to keep this really short. So right now I'm in an office where you're not spending a ton, but it could be anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000, depending upon you know how contested your race is, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, my first race I spent about $12,000, I think, or maybe $13,000. So uh, now I raised money too, so it wasn't all self-funded. But I, the reason I joked about buying the offices in <laughs> Congress, that's like a, it's, it is a problem in American politics. It is a it is actually something that you could say is a, a foundationally a corrosive thing, like a, a, something that could bring it all down, is that so many of our elected officials at that level are buying the seats. Oh. So they are literally self-made, quote unquote, or inherited tons of money and they walk in and they buy um these offices Mm. or they are completely funded by special interests. That's the only reason they're ever able to afford it is because of all these big companies giving them money. So if I was given a million dollars, like spend on whatever (laughs) that I'm, I'm thinking, Oh, then I could, then I could like literally beat somebody who just bought the office with some, you know, stupid thing. But then it's kind of playing the same thing. My goal, like my dream would be able to, to win one of the higher offices Mm -hmm. with as many, like as many, private individual donors as possible like people who are like i'm gonna give that guy a hundred bucks because i believe in the message and i think he's really going to take it to special interests like i want for my constituents and the people that i represent to be the ones that i'm beholden to not uh to these corporations and these interest groups who are not even in our state like Mm -hmm. they're federal national congress you know dc groups that are dumping money into these races and so anyway But it is kind of funny because, yeah, if somebody gave me a million dollars and I, then I immediately spend it to <laughs> buy the seat, it's kind of like, well, that's it's kind of the same problem. So maybe I shouldn't do that. Let's yeah. say I won't do that. <laughs> Let's just invest it on stock. You know? There you go. Let's just go back to that. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. Yeah. Buy, right. buy some of my favorite uh, companies because that's something that I like to do if I really like a company mm-hmm. and I like what they're doing. Yeah. I feel like uh, buying a part of it to own it yeah. is a, it's a funny thing because it like ties me more to it. 
and it like it, it's a it's a smart way of investing uh, in some ways uh, because if it's something that you like mm-hmm. that really is bringing value to you, it's probably bringing value to other people. It means it yeah. should have longevity. Um, but anyway, it's it's kind of a funny. I love our, our the capitalist system is so interesting to me, and it's a funny way to just play a part into it to just go and buy, you know, yeah. part of my favorite company and like see how much of it I can own, you know, yeah, that kind of idea. Anyway, so it's kind of weird, but I, I think it's enjoyable and I really hope I get my kids into it because it's a really good habit because I could go out and buy things that are fun yeah. that it, like I buy them and it's gone or I can buy something that's fun. Like, oh, I really like, you know, whatever Chipotle. So I'm going to buy yeah. some <laughs> whatever. And it's like that brings me joy and I'm making money off it mm-hmm. and I'm saving at the same time rather than, oh, I'm going to go, you know, just buy whatever. Yeah, or just keep the money static maybe because I've been interested in getting more involved with the um, investing um, mm-hmm. world. And for me, when I think about money, it's like if I invest the money, maybe it will be making more or not at, at least not being static. Whereas where you have your money in your pocket or in your debit card is just there, you know? Yeah. And it, or you're it, spending it. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is not there. But yeah, or if and it's it, just sitting uh, making it. It loses the value yeah, exactly. over time. So you especially the last couple of years with inflation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're having sure. less money than yeah. you had uh, even some months ago, maybe, or the value at least. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's one thing that I, I want to get more involved on in that, but I'm not really even sure how to start or where to look, you know, because yeah, I know it's the entry level, like the, the, the way to start investing is such a low threshold though. You can start with not much. Mm. I mean like with, you know, thanks to things like Robin hood and <laughs> random, yeah. where you can literally just start putting, you know, pennies on the dollar yeah. into things and you just kind of get in the habit of buying it and it becomes like a fun thing. Like, mm. like I said, I literally, I, I don't do it as much anymore, but I went through a stage where that was like my, um, uh, my addiction in a sense. Oh, really like, not really but you know what i mean like you have different everybody has things that they really get enjoyment of mm-hmm. and obsess over i have friends that play video games for hours and hours and that's what they do friends that watch soccer games yeah. there you go <laughs> like that's their thing their, their release that like gives them that dopamine hit but your enjoyment was hey let's go to this app Yes. hundred dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, today I'm going to buy Lowe's. I would love me some Lowe's. You know, I told you I like gardening. So it's like, I want to yeah. own more Lowe's. It's like, and I really got into um, like Warren Buffett. I love, I love listening to interesting people on YouTube mm. and on your know, podcast, things like that. And so finding people like my, my favorites are uh, Warren Buffett, uh, Buckley, William Buckley. If you don't know who that is, you should check him out later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they do, whether it's politics or business or whatever, and hearing somebody that has just interesting thoughts and ideas about different areas of life that, you know, kind of bring insight to it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and so, yeah, I kind of got that listening to those guys. I got <laughs> the idea of like, you know, this, you owning a portion of, of this business and uh-huh. like the good habit. And so anyway, I started doing it and yeah, it's it's definitely became a, a, a type of addiction or at least something that I really enjoyed spending my money on. And it, it's really, now I'm so glad that I did because you end up saving a lot of money really fast. Yeah. Whereas if I was, you know, just doing my other bad habits and wasting money, you know, anyway, <laughs> that's another area. The financial, as we talked about, was like spiritual yeah. and athletic or, or uh, athletic and intellectual. Yeah. All right. Next question is morning person or afternoon person? I'm neither. Neither. I'm a night person. Oh, isn't that terrible? Yeah, and most well, people not, wouldn't. Not really. I'm. I. I consider myself a night person. Yeah, a well. night owl is what we we call it here. I. Yeah. I it's weird because I. I enjoy mornings. 
like I love the concept of the morning, but I think because I I get like a second wind and a stride mm. uh, for work often in the evenings. And it's we like I get that obsessed thing. It's like I start reading something or I start doing a task and I want to clear like all my emails or I want to finish a script. It's something like that. Yeah. And uh, or I want to exercise. And if I haven't been able to, I'm going to do it by the end of the day. And it's funny because there's different schools of thought there. One person, uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a thought leader of sorts in the, in the U S mm. he, he, I think it's him that is basically like, well, no matter what it is, you like cut it off and you go to bed by like whatever, 10, whatever you do the same time mm. every night. I just, it, I can't, it's like mentally, I'm like, no, like I've got to have accomplished enough yeah. in the day. You know what I mean? Like to do, so yeah. I, if I, if nothing else, I'm going to go at least like walk to get my 10,000 steps and listen to an <laughs> audiobook or like a Warren yeah. Buffett interview or something. And it keeps me up a little bit later, but I do. Yeah. I enjoy uh, my time in the evenings. So I, I'm going to say neither. I, uh, in the afternoons, does anybody love the afternoons? I don't <laughs> understand that. I mean, I love the sun, yeah. like, but that's about like, no, the afternoons are like, eh, what? Yeah. <laughs> like prime work time. Yay. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you really, if you really loved and were fulfilled yeah. by your work, I don't know. Maybe I should be, but maybe that says something about the work I'm doing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, favorite music genre. Oh my goodness. Uh, I love music. So I don't know if I can answer that. Like I, like it would be, you'd be hard pressed to find music that I, uh, anyway, I like music. You, you listen <laughs> I like from melody. Yeah. all variety of, of music genres? I do. I mean, I'm definitely selective uh, on, uh, in different ways. Like I don't think just like uh, with reading, mm. uh, like literature, I, there's junk. Yeah. There is absolute junk out there that's, that's wasteful or even the harmful in a sense. Um, and so I would avoid, you know, or try to avoid those type things. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love the sound and, you know, music, uh, is the language of the emotions. My grandfather-in-law always said that he was a traveling, um, he's a music theorist and a, a philosopher. He actually discussed a lot about the morality of music because music is a language, language of music. It's a communication device. So therefore it has a moral nature to it. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, that was Frank Garlock, but um, Aristotle, once again, he comes <laughs> back up again. Um, he had the quote that, that music is the language of the emotions. And I just so much identify with that. Like, like music moves your moods and it like can, uh, anyway, it, it can be, it's like an experience. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, to try to pick just one, uh, would be difficult. So, yeah. <laughs> I think it would, you know, cause there's spiritual music, there's classical like music that's a little more intellectual Then there's like more, uh, folk or enjoyable, fun, mu yeah, there's music for almost everything. Yeah. So it's like, I, you know, anyway. <laughs> a job you dream when, to have when you were a child? What, what was that? A job you dream to have when you were a child. Oh, I had a list. I had oh, a really? Running, I had a running <laughs> list. I'm not answering in one word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm that's blowing fine. this fine. up. Okay, one word, judge. I wanted to be a judge for the longest time, but then I changed it to a zookeeper. And I a wanted, yes, I wanted, okay, get this. I wanted to have, have a zoo called Adam's Eden. Cause you know, I was like a little good little homeschool Christian kid. So it's like, I'm gonna have a zoo called Adam's Eden where you come in and like, I run the zoo and it's going to be like interactive and really cool. And I tell you, if I had a zoo, it'd be awesome. <laughs> I, I believe. Well, maybe but, it could be one a day. project yeah, one day. Yeah, one, one day. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. Zookeeper, judge, pastor i wanted to be because I, i enjoy communicating mm -hmm. and so i always thought oh i could you know enjoy doing that every week and helping people counseling people stuff like that and then uh politician and then a journalist 
I wanted to be a journalist for a long time. So I had this running list of things I would cycle through. Wow. But it's kind of funny now, I think, by being in politics, I do all of those things. Yeah. Like, especially Zookeeper. Like, I'm constantly <laughs> dealing with, like, you know, <laughs> come on, guys, get in line. <laughs> you know, it's like, calm down. Let's yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Oh, and I wanted to be a teacher. That was the other one. Oh, okay. And I do, I feel like I do a lot of teaching. I don't sit in front of classrooms mm -hmm. daily and talk about a specific subject matter, but I do, I get invited to a lot of political events. I get invited to speak at a lot of uh, different things, including it for classrooms mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so I feel like, and then it, with Majesty, you know, I, I do speaking engagements for this and I teach at our music conference. And anyway, so I do a lot of teaching yeah. and I just enjoy uh, that kind of to talking about something that's interesting, that's meaningful to people. And I love watching them like get excited about something because that is like the magic of teaching is mm -hmm. like a teacher takes something and it's like that spark, like the first the first way of learning something is you have to have an interest like yeah. that, like it, it, that it arrests your attention to bring something. And it's like, like a shiny object that I'm yeah. sh shining in front of you, <laughs> holding in front of you. And it's like, now I'm interested in what does this mean and, and why does it matter? And like, that's to me teaching, whatever it is, like that's a really enjoyable experience. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's great. Uh, TV shows or movies? <sighs> Pass. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, you don't, uh, we, I do, I do watch TV and movies, but I, or maybe your favorite <laughs> movie. I, I don't know. I'm not a good, I, so I, I watch movies for experiences. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it was Memorial day last, what? Monday. Yeah. And so Memorial Day, I watch a war movie or two. Oh, okay. Like I like so I use movies as like that. I want to like I want to experience something and like put me in a mood or frame of reference or a mindset yeah. or something. Uh, my wife likes movies. She's enjoys that art form a lot. And so I watch things because she'll have something on her, ask me to watch something with her. And yeah. so I like, um, same thing. I don't, I, I'm not <laughs> as adventurous because it's a time commitment. I'm like, did this win an Oscar or did, you know, is this critically acclaimed? And that's like my first limit. So yeah. I'm like, if it's a movie night and she really wants to watch a movie, I'm like, why don't we look up old, like movies that did really well from like the eighties that have stood uh -huh. the test of time. And she's like, no, I want to watch, <laughs> you know, this other random thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, there's certain series and I can't, it's terrible. I can't think of a single one off the top of my head, but there's certain series that I've gotten into that we've like binge watched that I thought were really interesting, like mm -hmm. some well-written um, dialogue and mysteries and stuff like that. And I so appreciate good writing, yeah. but to say that I, I love one or the other, I, I don't, I don't really, and I don't put enough time into it to really act like I am yeah. into it. <laughs> okay. And the last question is cats or dogs? Dogs. Not you, even. Do you have any? Although ironically, <laughs> I've only ever had a cat. Oh, really? no, no, okay, that's not true. So <laughs> when I was a kid, we had dogs. Okay. Uh, so I guess I always had dogs. But now that in my adult life, we I've I've refused to get a pet because I don't want to take care of it <laughs> because like we can barely take care of our children. Yeah. How are we gonna add a pet into this mix? Yeah. But uh, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> so, but I think that my uh, we I had because the garden thing we had a cat that was like a street cat that like oh, lived okay. in like a anyway and it kept coming around my house well <laughs> i had this problem with voles which are like a nasty disgusting rodent that kills everything good yeah and so that by having the cat in my yard it would help take care of 
the rodent pest problem. So I like coaxed it in my yard and like, and it would like chill with me while I worked. And so I was like, Oh, I've come around. I used to hate cats, but like came around to cats. I didn't, I don't want an inside cat and I don't want to actually take care of it. But yeah. uh, now it's not around anymore. But so okay. but I still say dogs. One day I'll get a dog when I have, you know, yeah. when my kids are old enough to take care of it. There you go. That'll be my litmus yeah. test. Okay. And the last uh, is um, I always tell this to the guests and I give an opportunity for them to ask me any question they want. So if you want to ask me any question. Ask you any yeah. question. Oh, that's good. I want to go through the list with you. I'm like, no, like, like cats or dogs. Like, yeah. uh, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, wow. <laughs> you you went right to the hardest question. I know, right? Hardest well, question. well, because you're projecting your future is such a hard thing, and it'll be so funny for you to go back and listen to it in the future yeah. and see, like, what did I think that I was going to do? Yeah, well, I don't know. Um, I would love for certain uh, to work in something related to media and maybe excel in that as much as I can. And uh, I don't know. I don't. Honestly, I don't see myself living in my country, at least not for a period of time. I would like to live uh, in other country, and I would love to live here, for example, in the U.S., at least for a period of my life, or if everything goes well for yeah, for, for <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I... Well, that, that was a hard question. I know, yeah. it is a hard. Well, now I have another question because you got me. Yeah. So if your family is all in Honduras, right? Yeah. So how? what is that? You know, because I thought, you know, in, in my deciding where to live back when I was studying law, mm -hmm. a huge factor was, you know, well, where's my community? Mm -hmm. Like, where's my family? Where's my community? So how... Um, Like what? What's what's your mind process with that? Like, because your family's all there, yeah. and that's where your community is. But you enjoy things here. Like, um, how do you think that's gonna work in the long run? Well, yeah, that's I, I I've been thinking about that from time to time. It's hard as well, but um, yeah, I don't know. It I kind of get used really fast to when I have to get used to my new environment and that happened to me when I came for the first time to the U.S. and have to be um, very far from my family and from everyone. But I think I, I can get used really fast to that and I can learn to have this experience of being like alone or by myself and everything. But maybe if my plan is to... I don't know, live here, for example, in the U.S., and all my family will be back in Honduras. Well, in, in, my, in the case of my siblings, for example, I think it'll be probably easier to um, visit them and everything. In the case of my parents, uh, I, I always have uh, joked about this with my mom, for example, and I have tell her that if I come to live here to the U.S., I will bring her with me. Yeah, she's gonna have to. Yeah. yeah is, and that, is that primarily so she can like make your favorite food or what's the number? <laughs> like, and you also well, want to see her, but, right? There is that like how yeah. you get home cooking. Like, yeah, I got of you. Course. I track that totally. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's my, I mean, maybe my vision of, of it. Uh, if something like coming here or living out of my country happens, 
I, I would love to bring them uh, to both my parents uh, wherever I go because that way I can be closer to them and I can help them in anything they, they, they yeah. maybe need help with. So in and a sense, it's building your own community. Yeah. Like wherever it is, yeah. you're just going to build your... Yeah, and I, th I guess it's kind of the... Of course, but I, but it is like a real thought, especially yeah. if they don't if they don't come or if it's a long time till they come. Yeah. Like navigating that, and and I I've wondered about that as an immigrant, like you know that experience coming because I studied abroad and I had some friends with me, but it was there was there were so many positives to it, like mm -hmm. I enjoyed like the new experiences and the things that I loved about the culture, but you know for a really long extended time I could see like the loneliness mm -hmm. and like that kind of. Um, like missing that that community but i guess you just have to build that community wherever you are <laughs> yeah i think that's the the best option that you have because otherwise maybe you will get so disconnected from your original community maybe that it will be harder maybe in the long term mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh cool Yeah, okay, so um, thank you for, for being here with, with me today. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me on. Sorry all of my answers were so long. I feel like I need <laughs> no, a long, drawn-out goodbye because I went so long on some of the answers. But. I enjoyed everything, so um, any final words that you want to, to say? Yeah, well, just thanks for having me on, and I hope this uh, continues to go well with your media. Maybe this podcast, yeah. these podcasting things as you build it and, and grow it will be one of those. Uh, I, I keep thinking about doing a podcast but it's the time commitment of thinking what to talk about that is relevant and interesting yeah. you know so you did a good job of just like <laughs> asking questions in order to just try to get something that is yeah. interesting or worthwhile <laughs> yeah so i appreciate everything and i appreciate everyone that has listened to the this episode of the cdrb show i'm christian rodriguez and you can follow us and all of our productions on instagram as uh, cdrb productions and i'll see you next week thank you <laughs>